Greetings, friends, and welcome to Church is Changing. It is the start of 2024, and I am Paul Nixon, here with Beth S. Stock. And we are your hosts on Church is Changing, and today we are coming together for a conversation, sort of in reflection at the start of a new year, thinking about some of the things that have impacted us and that we've learned working with pastors and church leaders and faith leaders over the last several months. And Beth, you ran across a term in an article or a column by Richard Rohr in the middle of the year, and you shared that with me. What Tell us about this term that you discovered. Yes, maybe some of our listeners read that article too. The term is edgewalkers. And I just found his article, and I just want to read just a little paragraph from what he said about edgewalking. Edgewalkers occupy a thin space and are by definition a bit lonely. Most people inhabit the vast spaces on both sides of the edges, but those of us called to the thresholds, the edges between, live in this thin space and recognize one another when we meet. The edges between biosystems are called ecotones. These thresholds usually contain the most biodiversity and therefore are the most resilient. The time is soon coming when the edges we inhabit will start to redefine the center. Beautiful. That term, edge walking, captivated me because, number one, I feel like I am an edge walker and it helped me actually have compassion for myself and how I show up in the world, that I didn't have to say, wow, there's something wrong with me. I don't fit in. It's hard for me to find people that get me. I'm always on the edge of the institutions in which I find myself. And it's like, oh, an edge walker. And I had this vision of somebody walking on an edge, like of a mountaintop, where you can see both sides and you're kind of holding holding the ridge line between two worlds. And I thought about a lot of people that I coach and they're edge walkers. And so I started to share this term edge walking with the people that I coach. And it also captivated their imaginations in a way that was generative for them. It reminds me of the last little part of the walk, if you're coming not straight up the half dome from Yosemite Valley, but if you're coming from the backside, the path gets very narrow and you can see down both sides. And it's scary because you could fall one way or the other. I grew up as a Southern Californian with one foot in a very vibrant church and another foot in a very secular world where only two of my school friends were a part of organized religion. And I had such appreciation for both worlds And I remember thinking at age 15, one of these days, I'm going to figure out how to get these worlds talking to one another. I mean, that became something that was important to me because I couldn't figure out I was living in a parallel universe situation. So I resonated with this term also with you because it was a part of my call to ministry was was trying to bridge worlds, at least the two worlds that I knew at that time. I think for many of us, what we have tried to do early on maybe is to have one world incorporate the other or try to, you know, as we say in the church, the old bait and switch, like, 
yeah, we're going to go out there, we're going to meet people, and then we're going to invite them to church, and that's our work. But edge walking is so different. It's being able to see both worlds or multiple worlds at the same time and for it to be generative, for it to be mind-expanding, possibility-expanding. And it's not necessary for one world to encapsulate the other. It's like, where, where can you go as you invite the journey together of a possibility for something else? Well, part of the good news is, is that if, as faith leaders, we tend to be edge walkers, the good news is, is that there are some others out there. There are also people who are not a part of our primary um, communities, either our local churches or even institutional religion, who are also edge walkers, which means that they have capacities and interest and perhaps motivation to get to know us a little better as well. But what happens is not the recruiting necessarily of one person into the other person's camp, but is the creation together of new camp. Does that make sense? Yes. And I really love, Paul, your encouraging people to find the bright-eyed people, look for the bright-eyed people. Elaine Heath said, look for the people of peace. And this is another framework. Look for the edge walkers. Yes. You know, find those people who uh, are on the edge of the of the organizations that they're a part of in the institutions that are curious, that are asking questions, that are thinking big thoughts, that can see a world beyond what their particular myopic work might be in their particular institution. And Elaine assigning the biblical idea of person of peace to that group of people is brilliant because In fact, they are, for the purposes of this conversation, they are people of peace that will be gateways into rich community conversation and collaboration when we can see them here and there. Yeah, they're the kind of people that when you meet them, they will say, oh, and I need you to meet this person and I'd like you to meet this person. And can we have coffee together? I have some ideas that I want to share with you or... I have some questions about what you do. I've been thinking about this. I'd like you to come to this meeting. It's that kind of energy that people bring that you can kind of get a hint of, oh, yeah, they are thinking well beyond what what their nine-to-five job is. Now, Beth, in the latter part of the year, you shared the Richard Rohr article with some of your clients who also are edgewalkers in their style. And we're going to get into just a moment to five characteristics of this. But when you shared the article with them, what happened? Well, I can remember particularly with one very high capacity leader, he just teared up and he said, this was worth the entire coaching experience just to have this vision of what my work is. Because once I shared it, he could see that that's what his ministry was. It has always been walking on the edge and collaborating with people who are walking on the edge of what they do as well. And I think that's what makes him so high capacity is because he's constantly out there in the world, listening deeply, having generative conversation 
and not allowing the confines of any institution or organization to limit the possibility of what might spring forth. And there's all kinds of beautiful ministry and collaboration that happens in the umbrella of what he oversees because of this. Yes, and a lot of it is in the social justice realm, working with politicians, working with nonprofit leaders, working not only in the progressive theological spaces, but also in the charismatic and Pentecostal spaces. He is able to find that meeting point and is able to dance with all kinds of people and meet them right where they are and then invite them on a journey, a generative journey together. I think if, you know, in terms of dancing with a lot of different kinds of people, this is a skill that all of us who are faith leaders could use some help with. We so easily narrow the pool of people with whom we will dance. But when you're an edge walker, you learn to look past the differences and to look for the convergences, the common, the commonalities. And you know one when you see one. And and they they as well. Yeah, and I I do want to bring up this idea because I think a lot of people they might get a little scared thinking like edge walking, that takes me beyond my theology. It takes me beyond my local church. It's edgy. Will I lose my faith if I do this? You know, what if people take me over to the dark side? (laughs) So I think that in order to do this work, there's a process and and you actually do it out of, well, if you were a a person in in, in the institutional church, your base is a deep Christology and reading into the scriptures and how Jesus also was an edge walker. And that's what made his ministry so powerful is can we, can we bring our deep Christology with, with us, meet people where they are and not expect them to become Christian but can we collaborate together to, for the common good, for the realm of God to be made manifest in the world? And they might use a different set of language for that, but we're doing the same work. You're talking about serious spiritual formation to prepare you for this kind of work, but also serious engagement outside the church circles. It's, it's, there's got to be a seriousness on both of those pieces if we're going to do this. And it reminds me of reflections I've heard from the Fresh Expressions community in Methodism and other parts of the Christian faith network that to do good Fresh Expression work, you really, you have to be an edge walker. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be able to, to come with some sort of a spiritual grounding in terms of who you are. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty strong in order to be able to engage freely and joyfully and to engage non-defensively with people who live in another space. Yeah, it requires a sense that our work is much bigger and the playground that we are called to play in is much bigger than our institutional church, than our worship service on Sunday morning. It's a big playground. It's a big playground. And and you've said in the world where you serve, in Joseph, Oregon, that you have a wider assortment of friends in town than some of your church members. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I serve pretty much a traditional, small, 
rural church. Most all of the people are older than 60 years old, and they might know a lot of people that are 70, 80, and 90, but, you know, 50 and under, that's a limited framework for them. And all of my life outside of what I do in that church is with people who are a lot younger and engaged in a lot of different things than folks in my church would maybe be shocked with. And out of those engagements, new possibilities, new circles, new, new things are happening all the time in and around that, that church. You know, after you introduced this term to me, I found a 17-year-old book that I'd never heard of by Judy Neal entitled Edgewalkers. It's really a book I think that's written as much about uh, from a business orientation as anything. It's really about this concept, which is a concept that far transcends religion, but which is certainly relevant to the kind of church leadership we need in this moment. And in the book, the 17-year-old book, she listed out five sort of really core characteristics. And I thought I might just share those with us, and, and maybe we could reflect on those characteristics of, and, and in so doing, help for those listeners who are still kind of wondering, what are we talking about here? This is really, in these five characteristics, the definition of an edge walker, at least by Judy Neal. First of all, they step outside their group and its paradigm to look around and see what is hard to see on the inside. Sometimes looking back at the group from an outside perspective, looking back in the window. And they come back in with added knowledge and wisdom from their experience out there to help the group see better and make good decisions for the future. This, this is sort of the foundational piece of it. And it's the prophetic thing. Or in certain cultures, it's what the shaman does, to step outside and to have experiences that then enlighten them that they can bring back into the inside. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of the pushback that maybe pastors get is, you know, we pay you to to preach the sermons, we pay you to order the church, we pay you to be in meetings. And, you know, back even 20 years ago, that we used to say to pastors, okay, well, talk to your Pastor Pierce Relations Committee and see if you can at least have some of your office hours in a coffee shop. Like that was the big thing. And I think anymore, it's like, oh, that's just a little baby step to have your office hours in a coffee shop. It's really how much time can you spend engaged beyond the office of the church, beyond the doors of the church, getting to know your community and engaging in in powerful ways in your community. As I was reflecting on what it means to step outside your group, or if you're a pastor, your your church and congregation. The stepping out may have been something that's happened at, at any point in your life before this time, but it certainly is something that you'd be practicing now. But um, among these things, multicultural and multi-ethnic experiences, or experiences with other culture or ethnic groups than your quality time with your adult kids who are now in their 20s or older. Higher education, just in general. Keeping strong relationships with people who live outside of your particular church culture. Spending time with other faith traditions, Christian or otherwise. Even a candid relationship with your spiritual director, who is 
by definition, outside of your immediate world. My spiritual director for, for the last, I don't know, 15 years, she is Episcopalian. And that gives her a distance from the world of Methodism that I've found so very, very helpful. But somehow or another, we have to be able to step out. And if we don't have those kinds of experiences, it's never too late to begin to nurture them. Yeah, and I think one easy way, I mean, all pastors have continuing education funds. Sign up for doing something that doesn't have anything to do with theology or the practice of ministry. Go to a different kind of conference. Go to a hobby conference. Go to, you know, something else other than what you would think that those funds would be used for normally. And take your theology with you as you go. Take your theology with you. Have a great conversation internally and maybe ask some external questions as well. But that's a great way to get perspective. And I I would wager to say that it's probably the best use of education funds that you could use. Her second point, Judy Neal, and her third point, I think, are closely related. The second point is that edge walkers are risk takers based on the knowledge that they're piecing together from the world out there, outside of their primary tribe. And the third is they take that knowledge and they move from theory to practice. And so the risk-taking and taking that knowledge from theory to practice, that just sounds like innovation to me. You know, when you put those together, the risk of trying new approaches, we're not thinking simply about alternative perspective as simply theory, but integrating it in terms of what we do, how we live how we collaborate with our neighbors, how we do mission. Yeah, and it makes that so much easier when you're partnering and collaborating, when you're listening in for where's the energy flowing and how can you be a part of that. It's not all yours and it's not an egoic kind of, oh, I'm going to start this thing. It's like, no, I'm I'm in this playground with a bunch of other people and we're we're doing this together. Her number four point is, she says, edgewalkers focus on the things that are essential. And as I, as I was reading this, the, the, the uh, sort of a part of this point was frenzied multitasking is the enemy of focus, but they focus on things that are essential. And it, it, it's, it's sort of a discernment that of all of the things that we do and believe and all, there's some of it that is at the heart of it. And edge walking enables us to look back upon all of the stuff that is our theology and our practice and all of the pieces of it and to see where the heart is of, a, of who we are as people of faith. You were talking about the need to have a, um, if you're going to be a Christian edge walker, to have a strong theology or a strong Christology as you move into the, the, these spaces, to go with that as a part of what you bring to the table um, just in terms of who you are and how you show up and your values. Yeah, and part of that Christology is moving beyond this concept of our role as Christian leaders or pastors is to grow the church. Jesus never said that. You know, our role is to help people to see the unfolding of God's realm and to participate in God's realm as earth as it is in heaven. That's what that's what this game is all about. It's not about institutional preservation. So that just opens up the door when you're thinking about, wow, 
it's it's discovering where where's the sacrament right here, right now? How can more people participate in this sacrament? There's a term, we throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think what we're talking about is gaining a perspective so we can find the baby in the bathwater. Because I think there's a sense that when we stay in too deep for too long, we can't even figure out where the baby is. It, it all just sort of blurs. Stepping back, we're able to then see there is the heart of it. There is the core. There is the value. There's the brilliance of my faith tradition. And then able to see it in a sister or brother out in, in the world. And to celebrate it when we find it and name it, you know, and to discover that the baby's all over the place. That baby gets around. Yeah, it certainly does. The last of her points, this is Judy Neal here in the book Edgewalkers. She says, they deeply value others, both partners with within their group or tribe, as well as those allies beyond it, they work with others to create the new world. I just think that's beautiful. And that's leadership. It's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's not that this is my idea and I need to get people to manifest this idea I have. It is definitely a co-creative process of listening And maybe that idea is somebody else's idea. Maybe the idea gets generated together, but it's not an egoic, this is my ministry and I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to get a lot of kudos for it. Well, great leaders are not going to be very, they're not going to be able to lead without a sense of perspective and priority. But they also have to have an artfulness of relationship because nothing great can come of one person. It's we're, we're seeking to look for and to discover a larger sense of movement, spirit movement. So listening and respecting and finding ways of collaboration, seeing the value, discovering the baby and the person who's totally outside the circle, that's really important. And We have to be able in that process to hold lightly with some of our opinions about program and process, which, by the way, is very different. That's bathwater (laughs) compared to uh, Christology. (laughs) Yeah, I think also we have this concept that we should know what the end result is. Like we need to write the business plan and have the metrics in order. And this is this is what we're going to produce. And I think in this way of co-creation, it's you don't know what you're co-creating. You just know you're on the journey together and you're going to be surprised. Well, that's the heart of a life of faith as we understand it. I mean, who, who of us has the game? Who has the, I mean, who's read the end of our novel? None of us. We don't know where this is going. We, we It's faith. And we apply principles of our faith to life, to our relationships, in the trust that God is going to do some good things with all of that. But we don't know what's going to happen. And that's what makes it fun. With our churches, with our kids. Yeah. It is, a, um, it is always a surprise, for sure. Yeah. So different ones of the people that we work with in faith leadership, different ones embrace this stuff in different ways. But I have a sense that, because we work as coaches in many of our professional relationships. And I think there are a higher percentage of edgewalkers among the 
people that seek coaching maybe uh, than the general population. That's my sense there. So we do see this. But one of the, the ideas too here is that edge walking, it's not just a church thing. And we're going to find some others out there who have similar experiences and sensibilities. And they may be, as you said, or it was Elaine Heath, actually, that said they may be the people of peace who are really key to the new things that God wants to birth in our communities and in our world. Yeah, and it might not even be in those terms. Say more. The God language might not be used. They might not. They may not use it, but I, I probably will. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but exactly. I mean, I mean that's that's a part of the fun. Mm-hmm. And for us to know that those edge walkers are as lonely in their institutions as we are in ours, and so there's this sense of uh, deep knowing together and kind of a camaraderie. And there can be really deep relationship of support across those institutions and what that particular gift set and calling is for each person. But it's like, you know an edge walker when you meet an edge walker. There's a resonance there. So in terms of our Methodist tradition, you know, we, we talk about means of grace. We talk about practice spiritual practices faithfully lived create transformation within both within the world and with ourselves and wesley had his whole list and we can add to that list over time but edge walking is a spiritual practice and you can make a case that wesley was an edge walker as well because he certainly wasn't walking in the middle down the middle aisle of Church of England practice in his era. And like edge walkers often do, he found himself in trouble. Yep. <laughs> and you will get in trouble at times. By the way, both of these resources, we've talked about both the book and the, and the Richard Rohr article will be in the, the notes on the website. You can find them. But for our audience here, what would be our word to pastors and other faith leaders listening to this podcast in terms of this this idea in closing? Well, I would say that if you resonate with these five indicators of edge walking, know that you're not alone and that God has called you to this work. And it's beautiful work. And for the time that we're in, it is key to our work to move beyond and walk that edge and find other edge walkers in your midst to collaborate with. If you are one of those people that's like, yeah, I I know I need to get out of the doors of the church a little bit more and out of my office, but this is scary. Take a little baby step, you know, go to the bookstore and get a magazine or Read something that is totally outside of what your normal comfort zone is. Go hang out or go to a meetup of something that's outside of your comfort zone and just go and observe and be an anthropologist for for a while and ask God and the Spirit to, to, to help you see in a different way. I mean, we, we're all along this journey somewhere and we can... All of us can take that next step. 
You know, as I think about many of the congregations that I've worked with, and especially my own congregation, where we share on a regular basis, I realize that some church members are deep into church land, but some, especially within United Methodism, some have great bridges and connections out all over the place. And those relationships with those church members can be bridges that we can walk as well. And we can say, I need to, I need to get out of here. I'm too far in. I'm too deep in. Can I come with you? Can you bring, can you introduce me? Can I show up in that space, in that party, in that? Because we have some people that get around within United Methodism. I think that's a great idea, Paul. So the, the, the resources may be right at, our, right at our front door in terms of how to, to get out a bit. Well, Beth, it's, it, it's exciting and it's scary being prophets and having this edge that we walk. But I do believe, I deeply believe that for all of the stuff that is in the news, you know, the chicken little stuff that, you know, that the news feed is about Methodism and about organized religion and all of that, I believe that it is a beautiful time to be alive. And God is doing lots of new things, and I want to be a part of them. Yeah, and the view on the edge is simply spectacular. And if you don't believe her, walk the back path up to the half dome sometime. It's spectacular and it's harrowing. So... (laughs) Friends, we thank you for your faithful listening and joining us in. Um, and we love your comments. Thank you for the notes you send and the ideas that you bring back to us in, in um, conversation. They're just so much fun. And we look forward to uh, this year, on the average of about every two weeks, a new episode dropping on this podcast. This is the Church is Changing podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. It'll either be me or Beth Estock interviewing different ones who are, in most cases, edge walking as leaders in this brave new world. Church is Changing is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.